0: From Local 12 Sports, it's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's presented by Lake the attorney Mazlin. We uh, skipped a week last week. We've been keeping you up to date with the Bengals with some podcasts we're doing at Local 12 with thanker Gary Miller and Chris Rankle. You can catch those on our YouTube channel at Local12.com and I'll write at local 12 brother uh, on YouTube and you can catch it at local 12.com Rick and I took a week off last week because Rick is a new father so we've not got a chance to congratulate on that since he's uh since we've last got together Rick how are things going you look you look pretty good for a new dad
0: yeah I mean I feel pretty good I was warned and prepared for the worst and I feel like we kind of lucked out he's been pretty calm pretty quiet he sleeps pretty well so uh, mostly it's just a lot of dirty diapers really
1: there, there you go. That, that's just part of it. Do you have the diaper genie by chance? Do you know what the diaper genie we, oh, is? Yeah. Oh yeah. Huge diaper genie guy, of course. Oh. Ooh. That thing at the end of the the tenure of my kids, that the, the diaper genie and wearouts welcome. I can tell you that much.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a thing you gotta keep up on the cleaning of. I don't I don't think you can let yes, that you do. go.
1: That is correct. <laughs> hopefully hopefully it's been been improved over the last two decades from where it was when my kids were that age.
0: I, I think they've made adva- it. I tell you what, they have certainly got a huge, huge business going on out of the parents. I mean, they are just raking us over the coals. Okay. It's, it's like a wedding. Yeah. You just throw you throw baby or parenting in the front of whatever you're selling and you just t- char- char- upcharge about twenty
1: percent. So exactly. Exactly. Smart.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we got a, a lot of stuff to get into, not the least is of which is the Women's World Cup, which, you know, I mean, you got a new son in the world. You're trying to do the right thing. Get him exposed you're wor- to, you're watch- to you're women's it- sports. Yeah, you're watching at four o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, exactly. And you're trying to. Hey, look, women are real athletes too. And then they go right. out and do what they did. So uh, we we won't talk about that, of course. But uh, skinny the Bengals, you've been at training camp every day since it opened up. You've been doing the podcast with Gary Miller with Chris Rankle. I've checked in on on some of that. But of course, the the week we decide not to do a podcast in the middle of summer, we get a Joe Burrow injury, and all types of other nonsense breaking loose from training camp. So normally these these reports from training camp are a lot of nothingness going on. Of course, last week, when we're not podcasting, we actually get some news. So Joe Burrow comes up limping on that calf. What's the latest at this point a handful of days later?
1: Uh, it was good the other day on, uh, I guess, what was that, Monday. Um, I was in the locker room. I was talking to, to a couple of the punters, Drew Crispin had just come back to practice and uh, was talking about his medical situation. Um, I was talking to the other punter, Brad Robbins, about kind of competing against himself. And I, Brad's in a little. You've been in the locker room. It's that back locker room area where a lot of the practice squad guys are usually are. This is where the rookies are. Even if they're a draft pick, they're all crammed back in there. I think the only one that's, that are not DJ Turners out with the normal guys. I think Miles Murphy and Jordan Battle, Charlie Jones, maybe too. But I think from fifth round on down, they're back in that cubby. So come out of the cubby. And I saw our friend Paul Daner Jr. and he said, huh, look at the new offensive lineman sitting there. I looked over and I went, it's Joe Burrow. He's got kind of a hoodie on and he's just sitting there talking to Ted Karras. And I said, boy, I wonder if now he feels trapped because we're going to be in here for the next 40 minutes. And he's surely not going to want to want us to see how he gets across from there to his locker. And all and behold, he got up and walked across and, and looked normal. He did have that sleeve on. But I, I think that's at least a good thing that he's taking some steps at this point because from what I understand he was riding around one of those scooters for uh, a couple of days after the injury happened. Uh, but now now that he's walking, hopefully that, that means that he's well on his way to, to coming back. I don't think anybody truly knows. I mean, every human body heals diff- differently, right? But if you can get him back by that last preseason week, maybe the, the week after you've got those two weeks down between the end of the preseason and the opener, Two weeks for Joe Burrow, especially with what he's dealt with in, in all the other training camps he's gone through, uh, and especially having a normal off season up to this point, will be more than enough to get him ready.
0: Yeah, I saw Albert Breer from MMQB had been at training camp when this happened. He was there the few days after, I guess, and he came away reporting that he didn't sense that there was much concern about the injury, and he thought Joe would be fine by the time the season actually started. Skinny, one thing that came to my mind when this went down, and it, it was said that He's going to be out several weeks. Do you think the contract plays into this at all? In other words, do you think if there wasn't the contract looming, if it was already finished, is there a chance that he would already be back practicing?
1: No, that's a good question. I think it's been brought up a lot. Um, I I don't. I think it's two separate situations. Um, Yeah, I just think they're independent of each other. Now, now if there had been something more catastrophic, maybe the contract would have come into play. Uh, I have joked that if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, that Joe Burrow is doing a complete acting job until this contract gets done to to make everybody go, look how much you miss me. Look how much you could miss me. And I said, magically, he's going to sign the contract on Thursday and practice on Friday. It'll be the most miraculous thing ever. That's not the case. It is a good question, Rick. I I do think it's just two totally separate things. I'm a little surprised. It feels like we've reached a real stalemate with this, right? That there's been really no no. Push to get something done. I really thought after Herbert got his done, it would be a matter of days before something would get done with Joe Burrow. And don't forget that keeps T. Higgins in, in the in the lurch. That keeps Logan Wilson in the lurch. And um, you know, maybe they get those done before they 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 get Joe done at this point. But it feels like everything just kind of come to a standstill.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it, it doesn't seem like it's real serious, but there there's also the concern of we've talked about. This is finally the the offseason that Joe Burrow has a normal offseason, a normal preseason to prepare. Everything is healthy going into this one. How much of a setback do you feel like it is from that standpoint?
1: I'm sure it's disappointing for him. I will say, um, you know, the day before he suffered the injury at a regular press conference, and he mentioned knock on wood, I'll, I'll have a normal training camp and a healthy – guess what he forgot to do, though? You, you can't a- actually knock. It. you got to knock, man. you got to knock it's on key. wood. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's a huge setback. Um I think Paul Daner or somebody asked Zach Taylor yesterday the question of, does this hamper his ability to kind of get on the same page with, with Irv Smith? Um, don't forget, you know, they, they, they worked together throughout April, May, and June in those practices. So they've, they've had a chance to do some things. It's far different from training camp practices, obviously. Um, I, I, think, I think the only disappointing part is I, I think that, that Joe really had a confidence that this preseason was going to ramp him up to get off to a fast start to the season. And I still think that's very possible. I just think it's disappointing for him because it felt like for a change, this is finally normal. This is finally how it's going to be and supposed to be. And voila, two days in it's, it's anything but normal.
0: Yeah. And, and I understand that in the whole scope of things, he probably wasn't going to play any snaps in the preseason games. He or maybe he, yeah, a series.
1: yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut He said he wanted to play a series or two. And I, I think that was a real possibility in preseason game number two, it wouldn't have been in the first one, even though it's a home game. I think they're going to treat that, that, or they would have, they still will, treat that Wednesday practice with the Packers as kind of a, a chance for the ones, for the Bengals to play against the ones for Green Bay. And then, you know, you sprinkle a couple of guys maybe into the mix on, on that Friday. But I, I do think it would have been a real possibility for the for the starting offense as a whole to play a series or two in that, that second preseason game third preseason game is always a, a throwaway anyway, other than some guys on the back end of the roster trying to make it. And I, I think if Joe says, listen, Joe says he wanted to play a series or two, um, he would have played a series or two, as, as we know. So that, that's out the window now, it looks like.
0: Well, and and that's really he, neither here nor there. My, my real point is, I think – it wasn't going to be a big deal whether he was healthy for the preseason games or not. I don't think a lot is lost by him not being available for those games. Missing some of the practice time may or may not matter. I'm not sure how much stock we should put into that. But I do think, to some extent, we do have to decide, does it matter or does it not matter? Because for two years now, we've we've said things like, oh, it'll be nice when he has a normal offseason. It'll be nice when he's able to, to have a clean ramp up to the season and get ready to go. And now all of a sudden he goes down, and I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, it's not going to be a big deal. He doesn't really need well, that. He's Joe Burrow. And I agree with that, but it's like, you know, we do have to kind of decide. It's like, wh- which is it? Does it matter? Or does it not matter?
1: Well, I, I will say it will matter if it's the Wednesday before the Cleveland game and he's limited or not practicing still. I think then it matters. I think he does need some ramp up period of time um, to get himself ready and acclimated, really fully feeling that that, that calf is fine and he's ready to go. And, and again, the timeline that it seems like it's going to be is going to be well before that 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 would be alarming that's when yes it will matter that he got nothing but he gets two weeks between the end of camp and the the start of the regular season um that's plenty of time because at that point then you literally are game planning for your first opponent um and preparing for your first opponent so there's something to prepare for other than get the install in and all those things and if anybody knows this offense like the back of his hand with installs it's it's joe burrow
0: Yeah. And I also think there is definitely a difference between a major knee surgery that you're coming back from clearly or last year, even going through the appendicitis and and having an appendectomy and all of that right before the season. And you lost a bunch of weight. There's a lot more that went into recovering from those things than might with a calf strain, if if that's what he's dealing with. So, uh, Skinny, since we are on the topic of Joe Burrow and the quarterback situation at training camp, what do the backup options look like without him being in there?
1: Um. I think Jake Browning has looked way better than Trevor Simeon, and I would have not believed that when, when camp started and after they signed Trevor Simeon. I mean, I thought his experience would, would be the difference. Um, you know, Jake Browning's gotten a chance to, to rep with the ones the last couple of days. I think he's looked pretty good. I'm not here to tell you he's looked great, but I think he's looked pretty good. I've actually got a story going up tomorrow on local12.com kind of a, the process that he's been through, um, where this is a guy that spent four years on practice squads, has never taken a snap in a regular season game, um, but the value that he's provided to Joe Burrow on game days, to the other offensive players, to um you know, the respect the players have for him for kind of still trying to gut this out and, and make a roster and make a run at it and talking to Dan Pitcher, he said, you know, you, you look at this guy and he thinks he's, he's, he's starting to play on time a, a little bit better. And that's a big step. And it probably comes with, with more and more reps. So I think right now, if he had to do it today, I think Jake Browning probably has a leg up on Trevor Simeon. And I, I would have never believed that. I thought this was almost so cut and dried. It was easy. The veteran who's played in the league before is going to be the number two. And Jake Browning will again be a practice squad guy. And it may still shake out that way, but I, I think Jake Browning's at least held his own. He made a really good throw in the red zone on the, uh, on Tuesday. Now, Jamar Chase probably made a better catch on that throw, but it was a tight window throw to the back of the end zone. And um, he gunned it in there and Chase reached out and plucked it where I never even thought he was going to get his hands out. So um, he's made some good throws, made a good deep ball throw to Chase the other day uh, and Chase obviously made a good play on it too. But um, listen, when you have Chase and Higgins to still throw the ball to uh, they can make even a mediocre quarterback look pretty doggone good.
0: Yeah, that definitely helps. I I liked that comment you had about how, some of the younger players that are, that have questions when they're coming off the field may come off and actually go to Jake Browning to ask them, Hey, like, what did you see there? What, what did I screw up or something like that? As opposed to going directly to Joe Burrow, even.
1: Yeah. And he talked about on, on game days, especially where Joe's kind of in a zone, if you will, and he's looking at the iPad, right? He's trying to fix what he needs to fix. And um, he said, he kind of is that buffer for receivers who maybe don't want to go to Joe with what he's seeing. He's trying to figure it out for himself, but, Jake kind of sees it. And, and I've had players tell me that in, in in years past about the value of Jake Browning on the sidelines. I've never gotten a chance to get to that story. And I, I finally did. And um, it, it, there's there's some truth to it. And I think to him, he's like, hey, you can either just stand there like a statue or you can provide some value, even if you're not playing. And I think he feels like he does provide value. And I think the teammates think he provides value, too.
0: Yeah, I thought that was kind of, I mean, again, no one wants to be thinking about Jake Browning this year at all, but while we're here and we have to talk about him for a few days, that was a a pretty good little nugget. Um, Another injury that happened this week, a Burrow injury happened last week while we were off. This week, Travion Williams goes down with an ankle injury. This is a tough injury for him personally. It may not impact the team as much as a Joe Burrow injury, but for Travion Williams, this is huge. You feel terrible for the guy because this really felt like a big training camp for him.
1: Yeah. I did a a piece today where I did kind of three risers, three fallers. And I put Travion in the fallers only because of this injury, Um, you know, it occurs on the first day in pads. They're going to have a couple more padded practices, then have another padded practice next week with the Packers. And before they play the game and, gives you a chance to show what you're made of in the, in the pass blocking game. And that's a big part of that third down back role that Samaj a. P Ryan played. And that's kind of one of the questions going into camp is who's going to fill that third down running back role. And um, you know, hopefully it's not long. It doesn't seem like it's going to be long, but it's also undisclosed at the moment. So I don't know if it's a sprain, a strain, a, a roll or a, a break. I don't think it's a break. It's probably not that severe, uh, but, you know, if, if you're down for a couple of weeks, that's a couple of big weeks of preseason games and reps you're missing. Now, listen, who knows? Maybe he's back for the Wednesday practice against Green Bay and get some snap next Friday. That, that's a, a great thing for him because um, I, I think he's got a real chance to show that he might be the third down back. I know he's very confident in his pass blocking abilities. He's shown he can run it. Um, hasn't shown a ton in the receiving game yet. But listen, I, I, I think as long as you got some semblance of hands, you'll be fine in the check down game. Um, but you know, this was a chance with the pads on to show what you're made of and he's going to lose some, some valuable time in that regard.
0: Now, do you think that this opens up a little more opportunity for Chase Brown potentially, or do you think they're kind of looking at different roles already?
1: I think they were, I, I think they were Rick, but, but at the same time, I mean, if Travion could prove that he's the best of the pass blocking, that he's a capable pass catcher, um, you know, he's shown he can run in this league. He's got you know, an SEC rushing title or two under his belt. He was an accomplished college runner. Um, he might have had a leg up on Chase Brown. Now, the time we've seen Chase Brown in camp, I think he's looked really good, but it's also hard to tell because until yesterday when there was more thudding, there was really just tagging and trying to rip at the ball. And can you, you know, that run where he sneaks through the line, would that guy have tackled him or would he have eluded him? And if he eluded him, would he have gotten past the safety? I mean, um, th- those are the things that are really hard to evaluate till you get the games Um, but Chase Brown looks very natural running the football, but I got to see way more as far as can he pick up blitzes? What's he look like? Does he get one over on a blitz? I I think we'll see that in the next few days with, with the pads being on and especially when you have some of those ones V ones, well, however you want to do it. Um, You know, he's in a third down situation against maybe green Bay's best defense and they throw a blitz. Does he pick it up or does he get trampled? And and that's the thing I think we're going to have to wait and see.
0: I've heard brief comments about Chase Brown over the last few days, people reporting from camp, things like he looks impressive or he looks natural. Like you said, there's not a ton to go off of yet with no tackling. So what would you say he's done well that stood out? Is this just his explosiveness or is he does he look super fast or is he catching passes or what has stood out from him?
1: Yeah, it just feels like he's got a natural feel for for where he's supposed to go to hit the hole. I think that's the big difference from Chris Evans, that the coaching staff gets frustrated where Chris likes to bounce it a lot of times. I think Chase – in fact, um, I wish I could remember which coach even praised that Chase had a run before they put the pads on, kind of slithered his way through. I think it might have been Frank Pollock. It was only like for what would have been a two- or three-yard gain, but he made the comment of, hey, nice job, Chase. Way to follow your tracks. And I think that's the thing that coaches want to see is he – is he naturally going where he's supposed to go? And then it's up to him at that point when the tackling comes on. Can he break that tackle? I will say he's one of those guys. We, we kind of joked that he's the next Rex Burkhead. He's the guy that does like to, once he gets through the line, finish the runoff by taking it all the way all the way to the end zone. Um, and, 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 you know, at least he finishes those runs. I don't think he's super fast, but he's fast enough. I don't think he's super explosive, but he's explosive enough. I will trust him to carry the ball eight to ten times in a game. I don't know if I can trust him as a pass blocker yet. We have to see.
0: Skinny, who else has stood out from training camp? That's always one of the f- most fun parts of these early days where it feels like there's endless opportunity and probably not a lot of what's going on really matters when it's all said and done with. But these first few weeks, there's not a lot else to talk about. So who have been some of the standout names early that have made a little splash?
1: Yeah, the young corners are what we've all, I think, written about and talked about from DJ Turner to DJ Ivy, the seventh round pick, to Cam Taylor-Britt, who's had to go up against Jamar Chase. And Jamar's won his share of battles, but- There was a good one the other day on a deep out route where, where cam was all over him and then ripped the ball away from him for an incompletion. When Jamar looked like he was going to strong arm it away from him, they've had some really good battles. Again, Jamar's won his share and it's going to win his share, but um, with Jadobi Awuja out, it's given a chance for Sidney Jones. Who's come over to play some with the ones Uh, DJ turn to play some with the ones. And then DJ Ivy after the Saturday and and Monday, he had, he got a chance to try it out there with the ones um, just to see what he's, he's made of there. So, you know, in this league, we know how important cornerback depth is, right? We've seen it the last couple of seasons where it's very much come into play. That there's going to have to be a fourth cornerback that's probably going to have to play significant snaps, significant games on this team. Um, and you're hoping at least somebody bubbles up. And to this point, you've had two, three. Heck, Alan George has played okay again and played had, had a couple of really good moments. So you've you've seen some of that cornerback quarterback depth flash, and that's a real positive thing because it feels like. They're going to wind up if this continues on this pattern. And listen, you're one burnt pass away in a preseason game from going, yep, that's why that guy was a blank round pick, or that's why that guy was a free agent, or that's why that guy was on the street. Um, but it looks like right now that they're going to have to end up making a really tough decision at that position to to let someone go maybe a pretty good player overall.
0: Yes, yeah, I've been scrolling through the, uh, I don't know what we call that social media feed anymore, X, t- Twitter, whatever, whatever Twitter it is. Yeah. I mean, we, we I, get back. Uh, mine's in and out. I got to be honest. It's like halfway working some of the time, but it's, it's still not all there, but it is kind of there, but that's neither here nor there. As I'm scrolling through these, I'm looking at some Bengals updates and I'm seeing, it, it feels like almost every single day of camp, there has been at least one video that comes out of one of the defensive backs making a jaw dropping play, or, or at least a play that's like, geez, that's going to go viral. Uh, like you said, I mean, they have really been the story of camp. It feels like early on.
1: Yeah, it's past breakups. It's a Saturday. It was a bunch of interceptions. Cam Taylor Britt had what might've been a pick six. I think Ivy had an interception, almost had a second DJ Turner, I believe had one. I mean, they were all over the place on Saturday in the, in the event at pay stadium. And then, it's almost every practice they're, they're doing something. So uh, it's been a real positive sign for sure. And that and a lot of this came actually before they could get their hands on receivers. They can't get their hands on them until they get getting pads. So, you know, you're not even able to reroute them. You're, you're giving Jamar Chase a free run off the line of scrimmage. That's not fun to cover.
0: No. Thankfully, Jake Browning's throwing the ball and, and not Joe Burrow.
1: Yeah, well, there's that.
0: Uh, Skinny, who, who else? Give, give us an offensive name. Anybody on offense that has stood out over the, the first few days?
1: Not, not really stood out. I, I think Charlie Jones has been what you'd hoped. He's catching he's catching everything. Um, uh, the, well, I will say, I shouldn't say that because I had two guys that, that actually I put in the risers, and it's funny that I put them in the risers because technically you know who they are already. And it's Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. They've been ridiculously good. Um, you know, Higgins has had to make some catches where he's had to contort his body on some balls thrown behind him, and he doesn't seem afraid. And he's doing all this again with the backdrop of of no contract extension, right, where he could. He could, frankly half-ass it if he so desired, and he's not doing that. He's going all out and making some really big plays. Jamar Chase looks as good as ever, if not better than ever, um, as he continues to evolve in year three. So so those two guys especially, to me, have really stood out.
0: Well, one other bit of news that came up over the last week from the Bengals' side of things was Trey Hendrickson. He signed a one-year contract extension last week that'll keep him in Cincinnati through the 2025 season. He got... A $5 million raise for the upcoming season and $16 million in 2025. His $15 million salary in 2024 remained unchanged. Skinny, take us through this contract extension for Trey Hendrickson, because this was not only about giving him some more money and extending him for a year, but also giving him a little bit more flexibility up front in terms of salary cap, right?
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, what it does is it allows you to prorate the bonus out a little bit further another year, which is always free it frees up some salary cap space in twenty-four and twenty-five. You know, I, I doubted going into this year that he'd see the twenty-four year of the contract. It seems like that's probably more of a a, a, a given that he will. Um, I don't see how he sees 25. I just don't. That's why the big numbers on the back end of that. And But good for him. And, and that's where you, know, you see these extensions a lot of times. And it's like, oh, they love that guy. They want him here for another year. In a perfect world, yes. But in a salary cap world, it's hard. A lot of these times it's, hey, we're going to give you a little bit more money now. And it's going to look really good on the back end. And chances are you're never going to see that back end money. I mean, that's just the way it goes. But, hey, if you're a player, what do you want? You want as much money as you can get right now. Um, and if you see that, whatever you're down the road, good for you. But at the stage he's at in his, his career, the stage they're at with with all the guys they're going to have to pay and are trying to pay, um, this was more to kind of free up some space and, and machinations. But at the same time, giving him some money on the front end to make it work. I, I just, I don't see him seeing the, the, the third year of the, the or the final, the, the, I don't see him seeing that extended year. Um, part of me still isn't so sure I see the 24 year, but you, you probably do at this point. It probably at least locks him in for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's playing pretty pretty well. He's definitely been a, a tremendous addition. When they went out and got him, a lot of people talked about that and there were opinions on either side of how that would go for them. That's turned out to be a, a great decision.
1: Yeah, and it'll be exciting if, you know, whatever Lou Anarumo does, and we've talked about this with his pass rush group, if they can get some some rush up the middle, how many more sacks is he able to finish, right? Where he's getting around the edge last year and guys are just stepping up in the pocket and it can be very frustrating. You're getting some pressures on, but you can't finish it off because guys stepping up around you. Well, if this year he's stepping up into Miles Murphy or um, into Joseph Osai, if he's playing inside, or Sam Hubbard, that's a whole different ballgame where there's no chance to escape and, and maybe it increases Trey's numbers. But he's been a great player against the runs, very good pass rusher. He's he's, he's what exactly what you hoped he would evolve into um, because it does give you an el- side of the ball, and now you're trying to figure out, is Osai the guy on the other side of the ball is an elite rusher? Is it Miles Murphy? Um, You know, if push came to shove, do you leave Sam and Hubbard there on on third downs pass situations? He's probably, you know, he's obviously a much better rusher, but you know, right, when you feel like you got one side shut down, you can figure out stuff on the other side. It's kind of like that on defensive end. You got one edge guy who's dynamic. Um, It might free up the other guy for one-on-one opportunities, and that guy's got to pan out whether it's Osai.
0: All right, let's switch gears here to the Reds. They are 59 and 50, first place in the NL Central, a half game ahead of the Brewers as we record this here
1: on Wednesday actually, evening. Actually 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 as we record this they're now a game up because Milwaukee lost this afternoon. Oh, they already played.
0: All right, well that's that's dad brain for you. So the Reds are a full game up on the Brewers <laughs> as we record this on Wednesday evening. Uh skinny the Trade deadline came and went on Tuesday. The Reds didn't do a whole lot. They made one deal ahead of the deadline, sending right-hander minor league pitcher Joe Boyle to the Athletics for left-handed reliever Sam Mole. Boyle was the number 28 prospect in the Reds organization. Mole has a 4.54 ERA and a 1.41 whip this season for the A's. What did you think of the Reds' action or lack thereof at the deadline?
1: Um, I know there's some hand-wringing. I get it, I, especially when it comes on a night where Ben Lively gives up 13 runs and a start. That didn't probably help matters. But uh, my boss and I, and it was his suggestion, we didn't get a chance to get to it today. I was doing some Bengals stuff and kind of trying to take a little bit of a day off. Um, he had a bunch of duties, but he had suggested he was going to write a piece, and I was going to kind of help him with it, of looking at the pitchers who were traded and what teams gave up. He kind of had sketched it out. And if you look, what other teams gave up was going to be a lot for what the Reds would have had to give up from a prospect perspective. And so when you look at it, it would have been, all right, which of these pitchers would you have been able to trade for without giving up guys you don't want to give up? Maybe Savali from Cleveland, but he's had some injury history. Um, he might have been the one because he's certainly a young Really good, but he's also had injuries throughout his career. And so you're rolling the dice there. That would have been a controllable possibility. And the prospect that was given up, you probably would have given up that number or that level of prospect. Um, But that's what I would ask anybody. When you look at all these trades, um, they don't want to give up what they've tried to build. And so if you're thinking along those lines, then I understand why they kind of stood pat. Do you?
0: Absolutely. And we've talked about this multiple times. I think basically what we saw here over the last week is – Nick Kroll and the Reds front office agree with what we've laid out over the last few weeks, which is they're ahead of schedule right now with the rebuild already. The group of players that they have have been good enough to get them to this point, despite having all types of injury issues when it comes to the the starting pitching. So it's almost like you, and I know fans hate hearing it and I don't like a lot of times front offices, GMs like to hide behind this line, but it's almost like we're getting free agents with our injured guys that we're getting back. But in this case for the Reds, it really is almost true, and the reason I'm willing to buy into that thinking is because there is no point in giving up prospects this year for for this group for this group. Again, they came into this year expecting to basically be cutting payroll and setting themselves up for a run over the next few seasons. It just so happened that it, it came out way ahead of schedule. These young guys came up and they are awesome and they were ready to do the job right away. And that's great and well. And I understand sometimes the year chooses you and all that, but I don't think anyone realistically thinks that this is a world series team. And I don't think adding one more starting pitcher would have changed that. So getting rid of one of uh, your, what could be cornerstone prospects down the line in exchange for a one year rental or, or a one and a half year rental on a, on a, top-of-the-line pitcher. And really, there weren't many top-of-the-line pitchers that exchanged teams here at the trade deadline. It was more like number twos and three types of guys you're hoping if all things go right. And the asking prices were way too high. So I I, I think what we saw is that Nick Kroll agreed with us. I think his quote that our goal is sustainability is exactly what I want yes. to hear from a fan's perspective. I want them to be making deals that made sense for the next two to three to four seasons,
1: not for this year. Agreed. Um, you know, the, the other part to this is th- they are, you know, they were 21 and 29 when they kind of bottomed out this year, they're 38 and 21 since with primarily this group of players. There's been some added since De La Cruz wasn't at the front end of that. Um, you know, Andre Abbott wasn't at the front end of that, but they've been part of this 38 and 21 stretch. Um, do I think this team right as it stands right now is, is going to play that clip of baseball for the last part of the season with 53 games to go? no, but is it reasonable to say with 53 games that this team is capable of winning 27 to 30 games? Maybe a little more if you get a little lucky and you get Hunter Green back for a longer period of time. Um, I think it very much is because it's it's winning at this clip with this pitching staff as it is. Um, it's, it's still a very good lineup top to bottom. It's had its hiccups a little bit here of late, but it's still a very good line. Again, I'm not asking for 38 and 21, Rick. 27 and 26 gets you... Um, 86 and, and 76. Is 86 wins enough to win this division? Probably. If I were to okay. tell you they they win 30 more games, so 30 and 23. 89 wins? That's gonna win you this division. So um, you know, you do get Hunter Green back at some point, hopefully again sooner rather than later. It's probably gonna be another two or three weeks, and I understand that's still probably 10 to 15 games that you're not gonna have in, which really then only actually amounts to three starts. Can Ben Lively give me two positive starts to every one thirteen run start? I think he's proven he can, um, you know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe Tuesday night was, was the absolute bottoming out process for him of this is why Ben Lively has been lively. Right. Um, but then on the, on the flip side, Luke Weaver comes off his best start on Saturday. Is that a chance for him to have a three or four start stretch of good starts? Williamson's pitched Great Abbott. He's had one one or two hiccups, but has been very, very good. I mean, you you've shown you can win with these guys, and so I again, I'm not doing anything short term when I still can win this division, make the playoffs, and then when you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. Um, just just for some short term fix that might not even be a fix.
0: Right, and by the way, but we talked about this month ago when he had his struggles. Graham Ashcraft is fine. That dude still has a chance to be yeah. a really good pitcher in, in the major leagues. He had that that long stretch of what was it, eight to ten games where he really struggled, but he has bounced back and he looks exactly like the guy we thought he might be coming into the season. So the jury's still out on him. But the people that were thinking, oh, he might not be a major league quality pitcher after a rough stretch of games, I think have been proven
1: wrong at least so far. I, I this Skinny, this whole situation. If you can tell me, yeah, if you can tell me on August. I'm just looking at my date, August 17th. That's 15 days. That's hopefully Hunter Green territory. I may be optimistic. If you can tell me on August 17th, I'm going to get a rotation at the end of the year of Hunter Green, um, Graham Ashcraft, Andrew Abbott, Williamson, and pick your number five guy. And those guys pitch to their capability. I mean, you could argue Graham Ashcraft's pitching over it at the moment, but it's it's now a six start stretch where his ERA is under two. That's a nice. Sample size. If you can tell me these guys pitch to their capability, not above their capability, but those guys pitch to their capability, you're going to be just fine.
0: Yeah. And when I look at this whole thing, Skitty, one thing that I learned getting into the college basketball world where you're getting closer and closer, like where you're you're in practices all the time and then you're friends with coaches and you're getting some information there and you're learning more about what's going on. The thing you start to realize is, you know, less than you ever realized. The more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know and how much farther ahead these guys are than you thinking about it. So I love when fans will look at these situations and be like, well, why didn't they trade Jonathan India for a pitcher? Or why didn't they trade X guy for a pitcher? They could have still done that. It's like, well, guess what, guy? You're probably not the first person to think of that concept. Like Nick Kroll probably wanted to <laughs> do that too if it made sense, right? They just didn't have that opportunity. No other team was willing to make that deal with them. And so, like, I'm sure they tried to do everything that made sense to get another starting pitcher or even get another reliever to help the back end of this bullpen. But the reality was it wasn't going to happen without them giving up one of their top prospects. And that just wasn't worth exactly. it screw.
1: Yeah, and, and we're talking starting pitching, Rick. I, you know, I don't know if you saw the story today. TJ Antone's now gone to Louisville for a rehab assignment, so maybe he's not too far away. And TJ Antone, at his best, is pretty damn good. Now that may be a big, you know, ask coming off what he's coming off of. But if he shows in Louisville that this is the TJ Antone we've seen, that's another really nice add to that bullpen. I know he's fresh.
0: He, he hasn't pitched in a year and a half, right? I mean. <laughs> He's right. he's got he's got a lot of innings to make up for. So, I mean, if he's healthy at all, that could be if if nothing else, just a guy that can eat up some innings for you here as you get down the stretch and 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 get you through some of those rough starts by uh, the the staff. Skinny, the Reds also announced over the past week that they have agreed to a three year contract extension with manager David Bell through the 2026 season. What do you think about this move by the Reds? Do you like the extension of David Bell?
1: Um I don't hate it. Listen, I I I I I'm still the jury's out for me as a manager. I think he's done a marvelous job this year. Um it doesn't hurt to have talent. Um it did feel like he pissed away a little bit of the talent in 20 whatever the year the covid year was when they barely got in the playoffs. That was a much more talented team than one that had to scrap to barely get above 500 and then look like trash in the playoffs and then even the next year I think they had enough talent to do more than what they did. But He's, he seems to have pushed all the right buttons this year in every way imaginable. Guys, it always seems like guys do like playing for him and play hard for him and do the things that he wants. Um, I think he's evolved. I think he's evolved from being a guy that relied heavily on analytics, and maybe he still does, to a guy who now says, turn him loose and let's run, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's really embraced the way that the rules change and helped them um, become more of a running team. And Again, having the athleticism to do that helps. He's managed the bullpen spectacularly well. He's had to navigate all these injuries. Three years seems long for a four month sample size, but you know, if he is doing that with this young group now, why upset the apple cart two years from now, three years from now, four years from now with a new manager, just for the sake of blanks and giggles, if things are going full speed ahead and they keep winning and he's the manager, might as well keep him along for the ride.
0: Yeah. And let me preface all of this by saying I'm fine with this move. It does not bother me at all. I, I personally don't great. really think it matters all that much who the manager is. So great. Keep David Bell around. That's fine with me. I'm, I'm not too upset about it. But I will say, I tend to agree with you that it feels like this is a little bit of an overreaction to a very small sample size. He's been great this year. And even aside from just the fact that this team is overachieved, it does feel like there's been a certain amount of managerial magic to it and that he's pressing the right buttons at the right times. He's had some Decisions that would probably get criticized had they not worked out perfectly for him. And in right. those instances, they've all seemed to work out perfectly for him and he's looked really good. So I think this year has been a great year for him and that, that's all well and good. But I also think that the, the whole reason that I will sign off on this and say, it's probably a good move is because I'm sold on Nick crawl right now. I think Nick crawl knows what he's doing. I think he's earned an extension. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt with this team that he's built and he seems to think David Bell is the right guy. He's leading the charge on extending him for the next three years. If Nick Kroll is confident in David Bell and him leading this young core that Nick Kroll has put together, then I'm fine with that. If, if he says it's good, then yeah, I'm good with it. Point. No,
1: great point. Very good point.
0: All right, let's switch gears one more time to college basketball before we get to some ass Skinny Anything. Kentucky and Xavier have both landed international editions over the last few weeks skinny we'll start with Kentucky because on Tuesday news broke at like six in the morning I don't know what was going on but I woke up to news but well, foot- yeah was,
1: yeah yeah it, it just, depends on the time zone right from- yeah exactly yeah where yeah where he's from
0: yeah, and at seven foot two Croatian Zvonimir Ivisic. I, I hope I'm saying that close to to right. He is a potential first round draft pick in the 2024 draft. Again, seven foot two. He's long. He's athletic. He can stretch the floor. He likes to shoot the three. He can handle a little handle it a little bit. Gets the rim off the dribble. He dunks a lot. He blocks a lot of shots. This seems like a definitely an impact player, especially at the college level. We'll see what he looks like as an NBA prospect over the next several months. But this is an impact guy that Kentucky's adding the first day of August. We're just in a new world when it comes to co- college basketball and roster building.
1: Yeah, now, now he seems like a almost a, a seven foot plus stretch four, right? Um, That's the way in, it looks.
0: In, I mean, his tape is interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, back in the, the late 90s, Kentucky was in on Dirk Nowitzki. He obviously opted to hop to the NBA, and it's always the, oh, my, what might have been if he had come to Kentucky, right? Well, maybe now certainly he's a different origin, different country, but maybe this is the 20-year-plus later version of Dirk Nowitzki finally coming to fruition for Kentucky, right?
0: The, I mean, watching this guy, it is the, – the thing that I can't get out of my head is where he'd, like, fake a dribble handoff keep it himself, take two dribbles, and then jump from the middle of the lane and two-hand dunk over top of people. And don't get me wrong, I like the guys he was playing against might not be seven-foot athletic shot blockers necessarily, but this dude is clearly very talented. He's clearly going to play minutes at Kentucky. And when you think about the fact that they've dealt with injuries to their top two centers over the last month, I think both of those guys are going to return. I think they'll both play a lot for Kentucky this year. But you, you added a guy who gives you an insurance policy If Bradshaw decides, you know what, I'm not so sure how this is going to heal. I'm just going to shut it down and go to the NBA and, and not worry about playing college basketball this year. You've added insurance for that, but you've also added a guy that I think can play alongside these guys because of his stretchability. Now you can have like two, two big men at the same time that are in the seven foot range. One of them can stretch you out, shoot three a little bit. The other can play inside, do some high-low action, and then they can kind of invert and, and reverse those roles because both of them have some skill to them. It's, it's a really interesting look that Calipari can go with now with all this depth in the front court.
1: Well, Calipari's team went from could you even get five guys to be on the court to now maybe he'll be able to sub-five for five and not feel bad about it. Yeah, we're
0: going back to the platoon, right? Right. I mean, it. this is – I can't – this has been one of the weirdest offseasons I can ever remember. The conversation has been constant around this U.K. team, and somehow we've ended up with this. I just – I uh, I can't wait for the college basketball season to actually start so we can get a look at this U.K. team all together. Because yes. the, the other thing you have to think about here, Skinny, is they all looked so good together, and granted, some of the bigs were injured, but they looked so well – They lo- they played so well with that five-out style where they're getting up and down, shooting a lot of threes, playing small ball lineups – now it's like if all of these guys are healthy and able to play, you have three or four big men that you got to get in there. Now it helps that they are skilled, too, and they can help you stretch the floor a little bit to some extent. But I'm interested to see how that all works out in terms of how good they looked when they were playing those small ball lineups versus now all of a sudden you got all these big guys. If they're all healthy, how do you work that out together?
1: but but it is big guys that can play out on the floor too. And and so you can still kind of play that style and then have that rim protection because of the size on top of it on the other end of the floor.
0: Yeah. True. And then uh, Xavier, I mentioned they also added an international player. They added last week, a six foot seven forward Giedis Nameksha out of Lithuania. He is an interesting case because he is actually a transfer in the sense that the NCAA said, yeah, he went to a university over in Lithuania already, but they are accepting him as a transfer. So he might only have a year of eligibility left at Xavier. This may be his only season. They're hoping they might be able to get him more than that, but uh this is this isn't like a a guy who just completed high school who's coming over for his university experience in America like most international players are. This is a guy who actually is transferring uh from a Lithuanian university. So his clock has already started in terms of eligibility, but he's another guy that 67 he he's Fairly athletic in terms of he dunks and blocks shots a lot, but he's also a stretch guy, your typical overseas player that that has some feel, passes the ball, comes off screens and shoots it. Especially with the news about Jerome Hunter, Skinny, this would again feel like an insurance policy that Xavier definitely needs in that forward spot.
1: Yeah, and that, that's the big part of it, too, is is the insurance policy. And then add a depth, if, if, if in a perfect world, it works itself out. Rick, I know there's a narrative out there, an understandable one for college coaches, that um, th- this calendar is getting really crowded from from a, a, a work perspective. And I'm not here to tell you we need to feel sorry for guys making the money they're making. But there's also the pressure of it, the, the calendar of it. You need some downtime. Um, do you expect – I know there's been some conversation about trying to fix the recruiting calendar, maybe – fix the portal of of when it opens, when it closes, all those things. Um, Something has to give. I know you've talked to probably coaches around this and and at least maybe ops guys as well. Uh, This has gotten to be a lot for college coaches at the moment because it feels like it's been nonstop and it's still nonstop. I I I saw Mike Woodson um, the other day talking about they're still looking at guys in the portal.
0: Well, and that's the thing, Skinny. The problem is you're asking the NCAA or whoever – to save these guys from themselves. The, the issue is not right. that, you know, the rules are forcing them to do this. The issue is that they can't stop. They get into summer workouts now in June and July. They see their roster and they're going, you know what? Don't love our front court or man, we could really use some more shooting. <laughs> and now they're overseas looking for international additions at the end of July or in August. This it's no one's fault, but their own that they're spending more time than ever recruiting. They could very much yeah. say we're done when the transfer portal ends and, and our, freshman recruits are our freshman recruits and we're moving on with it, but they're not willing to accept that. They just want to force it. And it's like, hey, we don't have enough guys over here in America. Let's hit the international route. Let's go to JUCO's. Like they keep finding new avenues to keep recruiting and and keeping the the season going so to speak so I don't know what the right solution is I guess you can restrict them and say you're not allowed to add players after a certain date right but then you're kind right. of potentially screwing kids and or even foreign players out of the opportunity to to play college basketball so I don't know
1: I yeah, don't know I mean, what the I right guess, answer there is. I guess is. In, yeah I guess in theory the, the 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 closed dime is 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 when the is when the semester starts I mean you can always add a guy who could be eligible in January or when the December semester ends? You can have that guy for the second half of the year, but you know maybe that that's just that that's it. I mean, it, it is. It's it's been crazy. That it feels like there is some college basketball nugget of some kind, recruiting wise, every single day.
0: It is, and I, I've learned my lesson now. I think I think I just made the mistake two weeks ago, when – or. I guess a week ago when Xavier landed Gidus Demacia, where I said this should finalize Xavier's roster. I go, you know what? That's not the case anymore. You you don't know because it, yes he yes he is their thirteenth scholarship player technically, which you only get thirteen. But now you look around. I mean, coaches are just bringing in walk-ons and saying we'll give you an NIL deal that's more than the the scholarship money that you would have earned, and they're they're signing on fourteen or fifteen players now. So I don't think anything is off the table when it comes to creating college basketball rosters anymore and there really does seem to be no end to when the when the roster is finalized all right let's get into some ask skinny anything skinny we've got uh, just a couple to get to here we'll start with the semi-sports related question it says in light of the reds getting their face kicked in on tuesday what's the worst biggest blow out you've ever attended in person Worst slash biggest blowout. Sorry.
1: It doesn't matter what sport. It doesn't I matter guess. what
0: sport. Yeah.
1: I'll go Bengals 61, Oilers 7. Uh, back in, what was that, 89 or 90. Uh, we stayed, my dad and I stayed for the whole game. And the best part of that, it's it's certainly one of the great stories in Bengals history. Um, Sam Weiss absolutely hated Jerry Glanville. And after the game, he made it, noted why he ran the score up the way he did. Um, they onside kicked up 45, nothing that they were going forward on fourth down in the fourth quarter. And then to add the insult to insults, he trots Jim breach out there to kick a chip shot field goal with 21 seconds left to get it over 60 to 61. And then, you know how coaches today shake hands. That wasn't really a thing back then. Some coaches would, it wasn't like an every game thing. It wasn't going to be here. Sam just ran off the field and just did a little like this to Jerry Glanville, like, bye, bye. And then um, if you want to go to the Googleverse people, go read what Sam Weiss said about Jerry Glanville after that game. But yeah, that was one where we stayed just because it felt like, I even told my dad at the time, and I was, gosh, I was was in my early 20s. Um, I just had started in, in the workforce. I was not covering the Bengals at that point. But my dad had season tickets, and I said, that's why we stayed. I said, something goofy is going to happen at the end. There's either going to be an all-out fight that we're going to have to watch yeah. or he's going to keep running the score up to an absurd point. And my dad's like, yeah, let's stay and watch. It was actually – it was late, late in the season, but it wasn't overly cold. It was cold, so it wasn't like you were completely uncomfortable and needed to go. But, yeah, we stayed to the bitter end to watch that, that field goal and watch Sam do the wave off of, of Jerry Glanville. <laughs>
0: uh, you can appreciate this because I know you've attended them too. I, I can't even pick out one specific one. I'm just going to say – any of the first round Kentucky high school playoff games I had to cover for oh. Beachwood or Newcath. I mean, they are always paired up against some team who's like oh and eight on the season or one and seven, and they beat them 63 to nothing every time. And it could be hundred and million so, to nothing if they wanted.
1: I think it was eminence one year. My daughter was a cheerleader at Beachwood and it was her senior year. And I somehow I would usually call a game on a Friday, but somehow I had a Friday off Friday. But it, it might've been when there were some buys in Ohio, whatever, for every reason I had that Friday off. And so I'm like, I'll go to the game. I know it's going to be a blowout. It won't last very long, but I'll go see her cheerleading and all those things. And so um, the game, as you know, gets to a running clock, which is merciful in high school athletics. I believe in real time, Rick, the game lasted including halftime one hour and 16 minutes. <laughs> that's how, that's how quickly they got to running clock. It, I think it was the end of the first quarter. It got to running clock. So one hour and 16 minutes for like 60 something to nothing. You're right. That's kind of how those games always go.
0: Noel Rash, uh, who was the, the Beachwood high school coach. He just retired last season, but he had that down to a science in terms of how many, like onside kicks he needed or whatever, how quickly he could get it to a running clock and get his starters off the field. And then he'd be calling up like the Fort Mitchell youth division to bring kids down for the second half. It's like how many sixth and seventh graders can we fit in this game? Because these dudes can't play at all. And, it's a health concern.
1: Yeah. K- K- Kentucky has a weird number. It's 36 points at any point in the game for a running clock, which is weird, right? Because it's it's, a, it's 1 point more than if you score five touchdowns and kick five extra points. So, to get to the right. running clock, and you're right, he would go for two to get it on that odd numbered score. You have to convert and then the it like onside two, kick the next convert- one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. Yes. Just to get it to- and, and honestly, I, I Part of me just says, hey, and, and and you're really not running it up. You're really just trying to get it to a score to get your starters the hell out of there, get nobody hurt, get the other kids in and be done with this as fast as possible. But you're right. Some of those first round Kentucky games are just absurd.
0: It's the worst thing. But you would be fine covering it because you're like, none of the games are going to be any good this oh, week. Yeah. And I'll be and I'll have my story filed by 8 p.m. So
1: correct. Yeah, that, that was. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Those were the best part.
0: Yeah. All right, I think this one was meant for me, but it's what's more challenging feeding the baby while keeping up with Xavier Scoop or changing the baby's diaper. Um, I'm you know, I'm gonna go with the changing the diaper for sure because the the scoop thing is actually not that bad. While you're feeding, you can kind of scroll with one hand on the phone and send some texts. It's it's not too bad. The the diaper changing is a little bit more of an issue, especially because my guy likes to uh likes to just hose down everything in his path. He's he's a little squirmer, so
1: well. Let, let, let me just give you a word of advice here, Rick, about the whole diaper changing thing. Um, he's not there yet. And you've probably been told this at some point, you're going to open that bad boy up and go, Ooh boy, it changes. Trust me. That whole dynamic changes, brother.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I know it's still to come, but we definitely had a switch over this week at a certain point. You know, if you were at about a week out from him being born and they, uh, they definitely started to bring a little emphasis to him. Uh, little, little all right. All right. Yeah, that's right. How would Skinny rate these Cincinnati activities in order of enjoyment? Doing a historic riverboat cruise, going to Newport Aquarium, or going to the Cincinnati Zoo? <laughs> uh,
1: number one on my enjoyment list would be doing a riverboat cruise. Who doesn't like a good sure. riverboat cruise? You should mm, get a cocktail. That would be number three it's, for it's, me. It's, it's... No, nah, the aquarium would be three and the zoo is two. Actually, the aquarium would be three three and the zoo would be three I've, a i've i've done it i've done the zoo enough i mean how many times do i need to see the same elephants and animals i mean god god rest the Rambe soul I, I get all that but um yeah i, yeah, I now I will, I will say when we were down in orlando at disney world uh part of it was my daughter was working in animal kingdom that day as a character um so we went to see her work but we did do kind of the safari ride there and i honestly that was kind of enjoyable because you actually got to see the animals kind of in a fairly natural, natural habitat. Again, in the Cincinnati zoo is terrific. They do a great job. Um, you know, I used to get roped because of the kids to go to festival lights. I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I just, I'm not a big zoo. I'm just not a big zoo guy.
0: See you're missing the point. Here's the problem with the the riverboat cruise. If that deal sucks or if you're on it with bad people, you're stuck. There's no I mean, you can't just jump off the boat and swim to the shore. My man, you're stuck for an hour
1: and a half yeah, or two hours, whatever it is yeah but 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 honestly if there's booze there's booze i can i can manage i can grab well, a drink and walk to the railing and not have to talk to anybody
0: they've got booze at the zoo and you don't have to talk to anyone you walk around you get your steps in for the day you yeah, get some exercise you smell the kid out it's the, it's and the
1: smell who doesn't
0: like animals you're that's terrible the, the aquarium doesn't have any it's smell though smell. and it's the same concept
1: no that's like shark true. week i don't mind but it's yeah, that's the only, I mean, you'll see the shark, and you maybe go see a crazy octopus, and then what do you see? I mean, it's just that. Aquarium always. is a little bit more boring.
0: The zoo's nice because you're outside, just enjoy nature, you're walking. The zoo's one for me, without question. Riverboat cruise is last. because wow. Because if you're stuck, you're stuck. That's the problem with the riverboat cruise. Bad food, usually, on those types of deals.
1: So, I'm good on that. So here's the thing for you. you're You are going to be father of the year because you're going to be willing. You will buy a season membership to the zoo, won't you? I had it last year before we had a kid. I've already had a zoo pass. I'm a zoo guy.
0: There we go. <laughs> I'm all not right. kidding. I'm not kidding. That's in my wallet. I'll show it to you Do next
1: you take me when you go to Harambe's, uh, Harambe's old haunt? Taking me knee uh, homage? Yeah, we,
0: well, we always say a family prayer, yeah.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah,
0: who does Yeah, obviously. Uh, all right. What is your favorite place to people watch? Skinny, one will end it with this one. Airport. Love be yes. the airport people watching the me. Atlanta airport specifically no is the
1: best oh absolutely cuz <laughs> it's just life. it's just a fascinating amalgamation of people it's it's why is that woman wearing that or wow that woman is wearing that to what is Fred got on or to why, why is why does why does Fred have that that slick looking suit on to go ride a plane, man? What are you doing, bro? Get get more relaxed to the kids screaming and yelling. To I don't know, it's just a great amalgamation of of the, I I do. I love to get me a beer at one of those bars in the Atlanta airport where you can sit and look out. It's better than watching whatever's on the TV. It's 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 so much more fun to just watch the people go. And then you're wondering about where are they going? Why are they going? You can tell the people <laughs> on vacation, the poor business guy, the haggard person's probably going for a funeral. I mean, it's it is fascinating. Watching people in the
0: airport, and that's the best part, right there, is making up the story for what's going on, why they look the way they do, why they're dressed, or like you see the old man with the younger girl, and you're like, uh, what's what's that all about? You know, you start coming up with stories for. Is that
1: is that dad or is that it's sugar sugar dad? dad.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I like two things I really like about people watching at the airport. One is the sports apparel. Like everyone likes to wear their favorite team when they're going through the airport to represent. So I always like you'll see just some random, random stuff in weird cities occasionally with that. I always like that. And then I always like the person who will be like clearly with their family or like a guy who's with their kids. And I'll have just a very vulgar shirt on something that's like very sexual. It's like about 69 or whatever. And he's just like there with his family taking them on vacation. I always appreciate that guy, too. He's he's a huge winner in my book. Can I give you one more place, though, aside from the airport that I find to be a yes. nice little mini escape? My UDF has got like you're if you get a local gas station, there's some great people watching there. Like we even have a manager at this UDF. It's she does one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Her mom will bring her like food from whatever fast food joint, like White Castles or KFC. And while she's working, like helping people, I'll be like. Uh, what do you want? Gotta be like a chocolate malt. And while he's saying chocolate malt, she'll walk three feet over, just grab a big chicken tender from KSC, take a bite of it, put it back, and just keep chewing and making your stuff. It's incredible. Like I, you only find people like that at your local gas station. So,
1: I love that's that. great. Yeah, that's all we got. All right, good stuff. Thanks as always. We'll be back uh, next week, back on our regular schedule. Uh, appreciate everybody's patience when we took the week off as Rick had to adjust uh, to, to baby life, and I'm glad things are going well for him and his family. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. spin the Skinny Podcast, a weekly poker edition, presented by Blake, the attorney major.